Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. On occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Trapped in Rafa in Palestine as airstrikes rain down, a desperate father struggles to have his voice heard and to stay alive. I am a 50 years old man, but the children, how can you describe to the children what is going on? Like so many in Gaza right now, Izam Hamid finds himself stuck inside a living nightmare. Bombing, shelling everywhere. We have started to see buildings coming down with no reason. Uh, Civilians being killed just to send a a message to everybody you have to leave. His distressing situation is further complicated by the need to care for those around him, including his son Hamza, an Irish citizen who has cerebral palsy and cannot leave Rafa without the support of his family. Hamza cannot walk and cannot talk and he requires assistance all the time. It is impossible just to send him to Ireland, just to get him out. Meanwhile, outside of Gaza, Ireland has taken significant steps to challenge Israel's ongoing invasion. Our partners in the European Union and elsewhere, including the United States, must urgently rescind this decision and resume funding. Ireland's support remains steadfast, and I'm happy today to announce funding of €20 million for UNRWA for its operations in 2024. I'm Fionn Sheehan and today on the Indo-Daily we hear directly from Isam Hamad in Rafa as he describes his family's fight to escape a war zone. So first I'm joined by Ellen Coyne, news correspondent with the Irish Independent and Ellen, this week the Irish Independent spoke to Isam Hamid. He's a Palestinian father with Irish links. He's currently trapped in Rafa with his family. Can you describe his connection to Ireland? Yes, so in the early 80s, Isam came to study in Ireland at Waterford Regional Technological College and he graduated in 1987 with a degree in uh, electronics engineering. By that time, he had actually planned to try to go back to Palestine, but unfortunately couldn't make it home again because a conflict had broken out. So he ended up staying in Ireland until 1991. And looking back now, he actually described his days in Ireland as one of the most beautiful days of his life. Now, 
his son, Hamza, he was born in Ireland, but he has some significant health issues. Yes. So Hamza was born in 1997. At the time, Isam had actually moved for career reasons. He was trying to build his career. I came to Ireland on uh, a working uh, training and I came to Ireland for some time and he was born in Coombe Hospital in 1997. But even from a young age, his parents noticed that there was something wrong with Hamza from a developmental point of view. We started to see that Hamza is not a normal person. He's not moving the way a, a, a baby should. Isam described that he had difficulty moving his body. He's floppy. His head is loose and things like this. A normal baby is not like that. We didn't know at that time, actually, because um, our visit, it was only a month. We only noticed that when we came back home. I I work here uh, in a company. So I returned back to my work. And after that, we started to see that uh, Hamza is not a normal person. And then they made all possible uh, diagnoses. They told us he's suffering from cerebral palsy. Isam, he did speak to us directly from Rafa. And just how perilous is his situation? Yes, so obviously when the the conflict and the the bombardment broke out in Gaza, the family actually moved to a house in Rafa that was owned by an acquaintance thinking that it would be a safe place. To be quite honest, in the beginning, we didn't think that it's going to be something like this because we have lived these hard uh, days before. We never thought that 2023 will be something different. But then we started after uh, October the 8th or 9th that they are asking us to evacuate all of Gaza. We were astonished when a child with this sort of condition, where are we going to go? And then it started to become bombing, something we have never seen, shelling everywhere, buildings coming down with no reason, uh, civilians being killed just to send a, a message to everybody you have to leave. And then we received a phone call from the Israeli military telling us by name. They called me by name. You have to leave your area because it has been designated as a military zone. At that time, we had to to leave. But now I have moved to a relative house in the south of Gaza Strip. My house is about 35 kilometers from Rafah, north of Rafah. I think at the moment there's dozens of people, I think over 40 people living in this house. Mattresses are pushed together. Isam described it as kind of being like sardines. 11 mattresses in the room with one toilet. And Hamza is taking one mattress. No tools, no assisting tools, nothing to walk him for exercise so he doesn't become stiff. Water for hygiene is rarely available and we, we get it once every eight days. And the food. Things are here, you cannot imagine it. You cannot imagine it. And as we know from the devastating news that broke out this week, Israel started a bombardment on Rafa. Let's recall what happened two nights ago when they have said that they are releasing two hostages. Nearly 1.30 in the morning, we woke up on bombs, shelling, attacks, explosions everywhere that continued for somewhere around 30 to 45 minutes. They bombed a house behind us, maybe two, 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 three hundred meters just behind us. 
they killed 13 people. They killed 13, 13 people. We couldn't understand what's going on. Now, in the morning, we read the news. It is uh, they released two hostages from an area in Rafah, and then 100 people killed. Amnesty International has estimated that 95 people, including 42 children, have been killed. That brings the total number of civilians killed in Gaza since last October up to nearly 30,000. So Isam is in a really desperate situation. And when you listen to him describing the things that they're witnessing and the loss of life, there's kind of a sense of, of disbelief. You cannot translate why this killing is happening. Why we have reached somewhere to 27 or 30,000 people killed, civilians, why they are killed? Why the people in the, 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 the place in the West Rafah have been killed? Why they have bombed five or six mosques? And when they bomb a mosque, they demolish all the houses near around the mosque. So what's going on? Why, why they do this? You don't understand. So you live in fear all the time. This is the situation we are living in. This is a situation everybody here in Rafah is living in. It's difficult for them to understand and it's hard for them to explain the things that they're witnessing happening to other people around them. Now, his son, Hamza, is, is clearly very vulnerable. How exactly is Isam managing to look after him in a war zone? With great difficulty, as anyone could understand. So before, when things were better, Isam and his family had a relatively comfortable life and they lived in a home that had been kind of um, augmented or, or altered for Hamza's needs. They don't have access to any of that now. And because of his condition, it's made it very difficult for them to flee. Obviously, being trapped in a war zone is a desperate situation for anyone, but for someone with additional needs, it's unimaginably difficult. So we are not eating proper. There is no hygiene, no water. As I said to you, drinking water, we buy it. We are living on cans. There is no meat, no chicken, no eggs, no dairy products at all. No vegetables are very scarce and very sky high in the prices. So we are only living on cans. Today we have just finished our dinner with tuna cans. Tomorrow what is going to be? Peas. After that, we repeat tuna cans, beans, things like this. So we are not eating proper. When you are not eating proper food, your immunity is low. So everybody uh, uh, now and again, he has flu or has infection. There is no medicine in the pharmacies. Ellen, it must feel something close to impossible for Isam to make sense of what's happening to him, his family and everyone around him. And Isam's family, his friends and neighbours, everyone is at risk. Has he experienced direct loss? Yes. So he described to us how the owner of the accommodation that he's currently staying in, uh, his sister unfortunately lost her life. The way he recounted it was that she was trying to get access to clean water for her children and she was in a car that was hit by a rocket. But he's kind of made the point that so many people in Gaza at the moment, there's probably nobody who hasn't been directly affected by a loss of life uh, since the start of this conflict. And with the ongoing bombardment in Rafah, there's there's death all around them. So has Isam had any conversations with or support from the Irish authorities with regards to getting Hamza out of this situation? Yes. So initially, I suppose... 
just from a sense of hope. Uh, Isam was kind of hoping that this war would be over soon. But I suppose as things went on and things started to look bleaker, he did try to make some some contact with the Irish authorities. Obviously, because Hamza is an Irish citizen, he was trying to appeal for the state to help them to get out. And obviously, he would need additional needs to evacuate Gaza as well. Maybe 15th or 14th of November, I received a message from the Department of Foreign Affairs. And they said that we uh, are willing to, to help you, to evacuate you, Hamza, uh, you and your wife and the children under uh, 18. Unfortunately, Isam is in a difficult position because he has two adult children over the age of 18 and the Irish state has made it clear that it wouldn't be able to help those two children come back with him. So the family would be, would be split up in effect? I said it is immoral to me to leave my dependent children in the war with an imminent threat of dying and then I leave, evacuate. I can't, I can't do this. If, if we all stayed alive, I cannot just face that. Obviously, that is just an impossible situation for any father to be put in. And as he explained it to us, he just doesn't really feel that that's a choice that he can actually make. He can't leave two children behind even for the sake of getting his other children out. I believe he's been writing directly to the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee on this issue. Yes. So he has tried to to put his case forward. He said, you know, he was in Ireland for a long time. He can't really see what the issue is with Ireland stepping forward and trying to host a family like his. Um, You know, he's very fond of his time in Ireland. One of his children is an Irish citizen and he's trying his best to make his case to the minister. Unfortunately, since the beginning of the war, Egypt and USA have agreed that Nobody leaves Rafah crossing unless an approval comes from Israel. Until today, we are still waiting for the names to be approved. We only received an approval for Hamza and Shams al-Din, who was the youngest child of mine. And when the embassy spoke to me on the 6th of December, they said, if you want them to leave, I said, Hamza cannot walk and cannot talk. And he requires assistance all the time. And he, it is impossible just to, to send him to Ireland just to get him out. It's impossible. And Hamza is an Irish citizen. He's an Irish citizen and he held an Irish passport. Isam's case is Hamza can't walk, can't talk. He needs support. He has additional needs. This isn't just about getting him out of Gaza. It's about getting him out with his family around him to support him to start a new life in Ireland. But at that time also, I I wrote a letter to the Honourable Minister of Justice, uh, Helen McEntee, and I told her that I I have been offered a family reunion for the two children under 18. I asked for protection under the law, international protection law of Ireland 2015 uh, to help me take my other two children, not to leave them in an imminent threat of dying, even if you can host them in Ireland for uh, some time until the, the war ends, uh, for three months, for a year, whatever. But at the moment, he hasn't been successful in getting the, the protection and the evacuation that he needs for his entire family. She uh, sent me an apology. She said, we can help you if they are in Ireland. But the story is how to get them out and how to leave without them. So this, is, this problem with the other two children is still the same. So does he feel there's a moral obligation on the behalf of the Irish government to help out with Hamza 
And is he angry about that or how does he feel? Yeah, and I suppose it's a it's a righteous anger that any parent would be able to empathise with. And I suppose one of the reasons that he was even talking to the Irish Independent in the first place this week is to get this case out there and try to appeal to the Irish public to maybe help him. But he doesn't have access to the appropriate care. Hamza's needs are not being met at the moment. And um, I suppose they're really appealing to Ireland because at the moment the Irish state is kind of their last hope. What's the problem of Ireland hosting us for some time? What's the problem? There is no problem. I am not a member of any Palestinian factions at all. I'm not Hamas. I'm not Jihad. I'm not any other. I'm not, I do not belong to all of these. So why they are uh, uh, refusing? I thought the Irish uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs will call his counterpart in, in, in Israel and ask him to get these people out. If not for me, it is for Hamza. He's a disabled man. He's a disabled boy. He requires his family. Why? Why they didn't do this? A friend of mine, she said, she, she wrote a letter to the uh, president of Ireland. The president, why didn't he talk to the president of Israel? We want this family out. I, I don't see that things are being taken uh, seriously, especially at this time when uh, the Israelis are uh, threatening Rafah by a huge invasion with 1.4 million in Rafah now, we cannot even live normally or decently. There are no major hospitals in Rafah, and they are all busy with injured people from the war. So uh, if somebody wants an operation, it is delayed. If somebody wants uh, a normal diagnosis, it is, it is postponed to after the war. So there is no health system running. There is a, a catastrophe here in Rafah. So what are his concerns and hopes for the future? Does he see any return to, to normal life here? They're basically in a situation now where they're trying to find somewhere to start a new life because unfortunately he feels that, that Gaza is finished. Gaza has been demolished altogether. There are no houses, no uh, streets, everything. Look, search in Google and see the pictures coming out of Gaza now. There is no Gaza anymore. The problem now is between Hamas and Israel. Civilians should be disconnected from this altogether. And this is why I'm trying to take my children to Ireland to put them in the schools and try to to find them a new life. Because Gaza is finished. There's no more Gaza. For years to come. I'm joined now by John Downing, political correspondent with the Irish Independent, to discuss the developing political situation. John, the situation with Israel and Palestine is evolving quite a lot, you'd have to say. Where do Ireland stand politically now? Traditionally, Ireland began from a position of being very pro-Israel and indeed Israel being very pro-Ireland. They borrowed from the IRA War of Independence tactics. Uh, A lot of the literature, My Fight for Irish Freedom, guerrilla days in Ireland, those standard IRA war of independence texts were well known to the Israeli freedom fighters of the late 40s. But there began drift from there through the 70s and 1980s. Ireland became increasingly solicitous of the problems of the Palestinian people, making friendly noises to the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, the late Yasser Arafat and so on. And increasingly, that was seen in Tel Aviv by the Israelis as anti-Semitic. 
I was on a visit to the Middle East almost 20 years ago and speaking to diplomats there, the view was, in fact, that Ireland was rather anti-Israel or tending towards being anti-Israel. The Irish diplomats will always insist that they're trying to be as even-handed as possible. But it's a very difficult situation and very easy to be seen as more pro one side than the other. Since this began with the attacks on the 7th of October by Hamas, the Irish government was slow and a bit reserved in some of their statements and reactions when the Israeli response really geared up. But that has dramatically changed since the new year. Very strong statements by the Taoiseach and Tarnishta about the excesses being perpetrated by Israel. Remember, Israel suffered 1,200 people being murdered on the 7th of October last and 250 Israelis being taken hostage. But since then, we've seen 28,000 people being killed in Gaza in reprisals and in what the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, has called being blinded by revenge. So the mood internationally is now tending towards being extremely critical of Israel as a humanitarian nightmare without modern parallel. And John, how significant then is this letter to the European Commission this week? Spain and Ireland have called for an urgent review of the European Union's long-standing agreement with Israel over possible breaches of international law. It is very significant. Interesting to see Ireland combining with Spain here were always one of the more stronger critics of Israel. Ireland's view is that anything that would be done here is best done via the EU, because one country taking action is not going to amount to very much. But up to now, countries, the ones deemed most culpable for the Holocaust and and the horrors of the 1930s and the Second World War, that's to say Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic and some others have always been pretty uncritically supportive of Israel. That is changing. We've seen the German foreign minister being increasingly critical of Israel. And yesterday we saw the French president phoning the Israeli prime minister Netanyahu and issuing a pretty underlying warning to him about the proposed invasion of Rafa. So change is afoot and it is a very significant move. One third of Israeli imports come from the EU and it is a very important supply line for them. So uh, what's the likelihood then that we're going to see either some form of restrictions on trade or economic sanctions being imposed by the European Union? Well, it's still going to be difficult because, for example, a measure which Ireland supports, which is sanctions against illegal settlers, Israeli settlers in the other part of Palestine, the West Bank, are being currently blocked by Hungary and the Czech Republic. And there will still be reluctance on this. There is more generally a reluctance in the European Union to deploy trade sanctions because it creates all kinds of problems for them. But things are moving in that direction. We, for example, saw the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, 
saying, look, it's time to stop politely pleading with Israel. Let's be logical. How many times have you heard the most prominent leaders and foreign ministers around the world saying too many people are being killed? If you believe that too many people are being killed, maybe you should provide less arms. It's time to actually take action against Israel with a view to trying to get them to respond and dial down the horrors that they are committing in Gaza and perhaps planning for Rafa right now. And does all this cranking off of pressure, though, is it making any impact on the ground? Is it likely to force Israel towards a position of calling a ceasefire? I think it may contribute in terms of the mood music, but we're still left with the reality that the only ones who can really convince Israel to desist and dial down at very least what they're doing or indeed engage a ceasefire, which is on the table now since the end of last month, uh, are the USA. Aha, but... Ireland has got this unique relationship with the United States and and we get unprecedented access to the White House and to Capitol Hill every St. Patrick's Day. So will Leo Varadkar be directly appealing to Joe Biden and the leaders on Capitol Hill that more pressure needs to be brought to bear on Israel when he travels over there for St. Patrick's Day? Yes, I expect he will. And I think we also have to factor in, in a a presidential election year in the USA, that the Irish vote, the Irish-American vote, will be at play here. There is a strong view that the Democrat backers from the US Jewish community are a, a big influencer of Biden's management of this whole situation. But I do believe there is scope here for the Taoiseach to be outspoken and perhaps with his hand strengthened by a change in the approach at European level, this may also be a factor. Now, tell us about the UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, which has been an increasing source of controversy in this conflict. Yeah, there are so many sort of sidebars and so many things working against any reasonable outcome in this dire situation. UNRWA is one of them. That is the UN agency which has been helping Palestinian refugees since the late 1940s. Their commissioner or the head of it was in Ireland this week. And Ireland is one of the few countries that continues to keep faith with UNRWA. Up to 15 countries stopped funding UNRWA when accusations came through from the Israelis that some UNRWA employees were in fact involved with Hamas and engaged in those murderous attacks on Israel on October 7th last. So the head of UNRWA, Philippe Lazarini, is on a tour trying to get emergency funding, particularly from the Middle East and the oil-rich nations. Ireland, the Taunashtown Minister for Foreign Affairs, Michal Martin, has made it clear that it would be unthinkable to pull the plug on funding for UNRWA. And he has, in fact, announced more funding for the UN agency to help Palestinian refugees. The Israeli response in Gaza has been disproportionate, uh, unacceptable, uh, and has resulted in unprecedented and unconscionable suffering and must stop. An immediate humanitarian ceasefire must happen. 
And we saw some criticism in international media about the Irish women's basketball team in recent weeks for not shaking hands with their Israeli opponents. So what are actions like that doing to, to Ireland's position on the global stage? Well, I think that is very difficult because when we began this conversation, Finan, I was saying to you that, uh, you know, as as long ago as 20 years ago, diplomats were saying to me, the perception of Ireland in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem tends to be almost anti-Semitic. It is such a crazy and volatile situation, a murderous situation right now. The situation in the Middle East is at its most dangerous in 50 years. And if you are less than 100% committed and approving of Israeli action, you're going to face allegations of anti-Semitism. That is an additional difficulty, but it's a reality we just have to live with. And my thanks to John Downing, to Ellen Coyne and to Izam Hamed in Rafa. I'm Fiannan Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound by Rory Bones and John Smith. Archive clips from RTE News, Al Jazeera, BBC News and The Irish Independent. If you enjoyed the Indo-Daily, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review. We're offering Indo Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engage. Subscribe today.